We mentioned SIPC coverage in one of our previous podcasts, and we received a few questions on that. So we thought we'd spend some time explaining what that is. Casey's here to break it down for us. So in a nutshell, how does SIPC coverage work? I'm glad we're talking about this topic because SIPC is a pretty critical component to getting people comfortable with investing, but it's also fairly universal. So as an investor, it's important to understand it and be aware of it. But frankly, beyond that, the system really works, which hopefully allows people to feel comfortable investing their money. Okay, so in a nutshell, how does SIPC coverage work? SIPC stands for Securities Investor Protection Corporation, and it is a nonprofit corporation created by an act of Congress that protects clients of a member brokerage firm. Well, so what that means is that if you have investments at a brokerage firm that is an SIPC member and that broker goes bankrupt, they get into financial trouble, or if their customer's assets go missing somehow, SIPC will cover those assets up to a certain amount of money. So if I invest somewhere that's SIPC member, somehow my money for some reason goes missing, they'll reimburse me? Yeah, basically. Okay, that sounds awesome. And how much is covered? SIPC will provide up to $500,000 of coverage for cash and securities held by the firm, although the coverage of cash is limited to 250 grand. It sounds a little bit like the FDIC insurance. Can you explain the difference between the between the two? Yes, FDIC stands for Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. They are an independent agency of the government that protects and reimburses your banking deposits up to 250 grand in the event of a bank failure. But SIPC covers the investor in the event of a failure of the broker they have their money with. So FDIC covers you if the bank you have your checking or savings account with fails and SIPC covers your invested assets at a broker dealer. Okay, so I assume these institutions exist to maintain kind of faith in the financial system, right? Exactly. It allows people like you and I to keep our money in the bank or at an investment institution with the comfort of knowing that if the firm fails, our money will be protected. All right. But if I buy stock in a company that, you know, it's a horrible pick, immediately loses 50% of its value, the SIPC doesn't protect me, right? That's just a market loss. Correct. SIPC is not there to protect the investor against market fluctuations. It is there to protect them against a failure of the firm that holds their money. So you could buy stock in a company and that company can go bankrupt. And SIPC has absolutely nothing to do with that. But if the firm that holds your investment account goes belly up and they're an SIPC member, that's when you should get your money back. So just to be clear, SIPC does not protect individuals who are sold worthless securities. It does not help you if you get bad investment advice or if somebody recommends an inappropriate investment to you. It only helps you if the institution that holds your money gets into trouble or does something that makes your money disappear. What happens if you have more than $500,000 in investments? How do you protect yourself then? Your money is protected on a per account basis. So what that means is, let's say you have 500 grand in an individual account at bank A, that would be protected up to 500K. If you have $500,000 in a joint account with your spouse, let's say at bank A, that would also be protected up to 500K. If you also at that same bank have 500 grand in an IRA, that would be protected up to 500K. And then if you had all of those accounts at bank B named separate things, they would all also be protected up to $500,000. They're all protected up to the limit as long as they are in separate accounts. 
how much does this help us sleep at night? Well, in theory, this should help us sleep at night. But in reality, what really happens in the case when the SIPC has to step in, first, they distribute assets to the account holders from the insolvent broker-dealers' assets. And then they come in to cover what is left. And just a little bit of history, since the inception of SIPC in 1971, fewer than 1% of SIPC members have been subject to an insolvency proceeding. And when they have, 99% of the assets distributed have come from the insolvent broker's assets. So the, the the, the brokerage covers the assets that are missing, and the SIPC doesn't have to step in. So based on history of all of the claims ever filed, which was something like 625,000, less than one-tenth of a percent have exceeded the limit of coverage. So it sounds like it would have to be a pretty dramatic failure of a broker-dealer for you to lose money, right? Based on history, yes. But crazy things have happened, and I think it's always smart to protect yourself. How do we do that? So there are a couple of things you want to do to make sure you're protected. Number one, if you have a lot of money in brokerage accounts, you want to split them up if possible. And honestly, $500,000 doesn't have to be the limit. Historically, banks recover more than 90% of their assets. And so you'll see that in the bankruptcy proceedings. And then, of course, the SIPC would cover the rest. So having a few million bucks in an account isn't really too much of a risk based on historical recovery rates. Number two, in the past, firms that do a lot of proprietary trading, so have people that are prop traders and trade the bank's money, they've typically been at greater risk of a bankruptcy or a failure. So you might want to steer clear of banks that are doing a lot of prop trading. Number three, investing in really complex securities or at a firm that does a lot of that, like a hedge fund, for example, that can potentially increase the risk of dubious business going on. And stuff like that makes it easier to hide stuff and therefore potentially, I guess, the risk of failure. So you wanna stick to investments and firms that traffic in stocks and bonds and ETFs and mutual funds, stuff that's really regulated and makes it harder for anybody to cook the books. And then lastly, you wanna keep really good records. So you should know how much money you have, you wanna know where it is, trade confirms, statements, et cetera. Because in the case of a bankruptcy, you might have to produce those records. But overall, the vast majority of us probably will never encounter the SIPC in our investing lives. But it's always good practice to make sure wherever you are investing is a member of SIPC. Uh, It sounds like something that everybody should find out about. Casey is always very informative. Great advice. Uh, Thank you very much for the information today and being on here as it was. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the More Than Money podcast. If you feel like you learned something or enjoyed this episode today, we ask you to do a few things. Number one, leave us a five-star rating and a review on whatever platform you're listening to. If there's something you're struggling with and want us to cover, let us know in your review and we'll make sure to cover it soon. Second, make sure to follow Squire on social media and share this podcast with any workers, employees, or friends. This podcast is made possible by Squire, customized financial wellness program that will help you create a culture of care with happier and healthier employees day in and out. Whether you're a business owner, HR manager, or just someone trying to live your best life, Squire is for you. Head over to squire.com to learn more about how Squire can transform your workforce. And that's get S-Q-W-I-R-E.com.